Miss Danny said, I'm here. I'm here no matter what. Um, but anyway, we're just glad you're here. And if you missed any of the past three sessions, I can't believe we're in week four, you can go to the sjlife.com website and go in our ministries, and then there's a women's page. And on there, we're offering the podcast. And you can actually listen to it on your computer. Um, and some people have requested some CDs to be made, so hopefully next week we're going to have those. Cal Connolly, who helps with our media, said that he would graciously do that for us. So um, if you want that, just come next week and we should have it. But I just want to tell you, um, last week it was a powerful time in the Lord's presence. And I went home and I was really just overwhelmed with how faithful that God is. Um, as many of you know, my notes were eaten up right before the time here. And so it was that song, you know, that says, your grace is enough for me. You know, we sing songs sometimes and we're like, yeah, I believe it. But then when the time comes, we have to really say, wow, your grace truly is enough for me. And I've got to trust that. And so anyway, and we ended last week with many people being prayed over. And the four things that we prayed for were those who wanted to be surrendered more for the Holy Spirit, those who needed healing in relationships, those who needed healing in their spirits, their souls, and their body, and those who needed finances. And I want you to know, I truly believe that God is going to answer those prayers last week. And we've been praying for you that God would confirm his word to you and show you, too, like he did to me, that he is faithful and he is true. And so if those answers haven't come yet, I'm going to encourage you, you keep holding on to that thread of hope. You keep waiting on him because God is faithful and he watches over the prayers of his saints. Last week when we worshiped and when we prayed, we were filling up those golden bowls that sit before his throne room in heaven. And I'm going to tell you, I want to encourage you, you keep praising him. You keep playing your heart to him. You keep praying to him. And I'm telling you, you're going to see the hand of the Lord come, on, come down on your behalf. Today, we're going to focus on victory. We're going to focus on what it means to truly have victory in our life and how do we attain it. And we're going to look at how David attained it when he brought the tent, the Ark of the Covenant, into his tent and had it established there for 40 years. And so we're going to, if you'll turn with me to 1 Chronicles 18, we're going to start there. You remember this is where we first started when David came in and for the second time he brought the Ark of the Covenant in. He set it up in his tent in Zion and he established 4,000 Levites to minister unto the Lord. Not to be ministered to, but to minister unto the Lord with praise and worship and prayers and petition and thanksgiving. And they did that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week from 33 to 40 years, different commentaries say the timing's a little different. But remember last week I said if it was for 40 years, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, that was 14,080 days of continual praise and worship before the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord. And you remember he radically changed things from the tabernacle of Moses into this time. And so here we find ourselves that he has set this up. And in 1 Chronicles 18, we're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to see what happens. It says, In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And he took Gath and its surrounding villages from the control of the Philistines. David also defeated the Moabites, and they became subject to him and brought tribute. Moreover, David fought Hadadezar, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath, when he went to establish his control along the Euphrates River. David captured a thousand of his chariots. 
7,000 charioteers and 20,000 foot soldiers. He hamstrung all but a hundred of the chariot horses. Ugh, hamstrung them. So do you see a common theme here? One after the other, he goes and he defeats the enemies. Well then, in verse 5, when the Aramaeans of Damascus came to help Habadazar, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 of them. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Aramaeans became subject to him and brought tribute. Once again, he defeats and brings tribute. And this is the verse I want you to meditate on. The Lord gave David victory everywhere he went. And then it goes on in verse 7, and there's more victory and more victory until you come down to verse 13, and it says, The Lord gave David victory everywhere he went. So here comes David, and not, he, not only is he king of Judah now, he's king over all of Israel. And under David's kingship, the kingdom expanded greatly. He began to secure the borders from his enemies. He unified the Israelite monarchy. There was great times of joy and repentance in this kingdom. There was great victories and blessings that they were seeing. It was like the favor and the provision of God was on this kingdom as David ruled and reigned. The Lord gave David victory everywhere he went. I started thinking, how does that apply to my life? How does it apply to Anne's life? Let's say that there was a book written about me, and it talked about my whole life and every battle that I went through, every enemy that came against me, every trial in my marriage, every tribulation of my sicknesses, everything, every problem in my finances. And there was this book written about me. Would the statement be, the Lord gave Anne victory everywhere she went? The Lord gave Anne victory everywhere she went in every trial. That's my prayer and that's my hope. And that's what I want to spur you on today with. That the Lord will teach you and encourage you and empower you to gain victory in every trial, in every storm, everywhere you go. But that doesn't always seem the case, does it? Right now, I'm sure there's many of you that are fighting battles that are big and torrentous and scary. And you don't feel like there's victory. So what was the secret of David? There had to be a secret. There had to be something that allowed him to have the Lord give him victory everywhere he went. And there's a few things we've already talked about. He was the shepherd boy. He knew times of isolation. He got to know the Lord when he was in that shepherd, in that pasture keeping the sheep. He learned to trust in the Lord and not in his own might when he came up to Goliath, didn't he? He learned that this battle that we're in is not necessarily ours, but it's the Lord's. As a fugitive, he went and he hid from Saul in caves as he was coming after him. And he learned to be obedient, radically obedient. When Saul was at his hand several times and he could have killed him, but he said, I will not touch God's anointed. He knew intimacy with the Lord. He knew what it meant now that he was king and he had the authority, the God-given authority, the anointing of the Lord to go in and to gain victory everywhere he went. But you know what I think is the greatest secret that he knew? Is he was a worshiper. 
He was a worshiper. He tapped into the very heart and presence of God Almighty. He knew that he had to surrender it all for God to show up. It wasn't going to be partial. It wasn't going to be just one area of my life. But he knew he had to lay himself down to learn to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and God would show up. I like to call it the presence factor. David knew that God's presence brought victory and transformation. And so he established God's presence in everything he did. You know, think about David when he was still a young boy and Saul. You remember Saul? He was the king. And, but Saul had rejected the word of the Lord. And so the prophet had told Saul, well, now since you've rejected the word of the Lord, God's rejecting you as king. And what happened? God lifted his spirit off of Saul. And as God lifted his spirit off of Saul, evil spirits came in and began tormenting him. And I mean, I could only imagine how crazy he looked. And finally, some of his servants said, well, we got to do something about this. He's losing his mind. And so they had this idea. What if we find somebody who can play the harp and that will make you feel better? And Saul's like, okay, and his crazy, deranged self, okay, go find someone. And so they knew of David, this little boy, the son of Jesse, that would play his harp. And they bring David in to play his harp, and guess what? As he worshiped to the Lord, as he played that harp, that instrument, the evil spirit would be released, and peace would come upon Saul. You know, that was years before David became king, many years. And I started wondering, when David started going out to defeat his enemies and to pursue the kingdoms and the territories around him, if he remembered that, when I praised, there was deliverance. When I worshipped, the evil, the tormenting spirits fled. You know he had to remember it. You know that was something built into his DNA that said, you know what, if I can get God in the center of everything, that there will be victory. And I started thinking about our own church and just in America right now with all the battles that we have going on with the gay marriages, with suicide rates. I even heard recently, I I can't confirm that this is truth, that a friend of mine at work told me that their pastor said, That right now, even in the church, divorces are gaining such momentum among Christians that they are outbeating the unchristian divorces. I said, how can this be? How can it be? We are to be the warriors. We are the ones to be carrying the victory. But yet we look like we're being defeated. And I thought, how can this be? How, How can it be? We're the kingdom of light to go in and expel the kingdom of darkness. And I think one thing is, and I don't have all the answers obviously, is that for many Christians we are asleep to that there's a war going on. We're asleep to it. We think we've accepted Christ and we're saved and we got our ticket and now we're going to head on. But y'all, there's a real battle going on. The battle, I mean, the Word tells us in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 12, For our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he goes on then and says, Because there's a battle, because you're not fighting against flesh and blood, 
You need to put on this armor. And he gives us all the armor that we're supposed to put on. One of those we've already sang about today, the breastplate of righteousness. Our righteousness that we wear as a gift from God and faith in Jesus Christ defends us from the enemy. So there's a war going on. 2 Corinthians 10.4. And and I've got my cheat notes, so y'all don't feel like you have to go there. I've got them in your notes for you to go back and look. But 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Well, he's telling us there's a war, and you don't need any natural weapons. You need divine weapons that will demolish strongholds and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I started thinking how many times when someone says to us something that offends us or or they do something to us and we're like, that's just rude. How do we fight that? What if we come home and our husband is just real short with us and, you know, makes us mad? Don't we a lot of times just spout out with our mouth, well, this is going to be the way I fight this. I'm going to tell him like it is. Or let's say your name's getting thrown in the mud. And you know that there's things being talked about. You know, our natural defense is like, you know what? I'm going to go defend myself. I'm going to go defend my cause and defend my right. And you know what? God says, no, I'm your defender. You stay silent, and I will defend you. You see, his weapons are not our weapons, but they are divine, and they are mighty, and they are powerful. So we're in this war. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us an abundant life. Jesus, one of the reasons he came was to, came to earth was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what the word tells us. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. He tells us about the enemy that we have. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So it's real. It's going on all around us. You see it with the marriages. You see it with the family. You see it with children. We experience it. I'm experiencing it right now. And so we have to trust the Word of God and say, okay, God, if there's a war, what am I going to do? And you know what? The first thing that I want to do is take my tail, hide it underneath me, and run and say, forget it. But you know what? Praise be to God. He gives us the victory. When Jesus Christ got on that cross and took it all upon him, every sin, every shame, every condemnation, and he got in that tomb and he rose again, he was all victorious. And so now as believers, we walk from the resurrection out into this life, into this journey in victory. I've got many scriptures in there for you that prove the victory has been won. Colossians 2.15, it says that he made a public spectacle of the enemy, triumphing over him. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Praise be to God, for he gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why? Why are we more than conquerors? Because of his love. 
and nothing can separate us from his love, neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons. And because of that love, we can be overcomers. Matthew 16, 18, you remember when Peter proclaimed that Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. What did he tell Peter? On this rock, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Those are promises. Those are precious promises of the Lord that should cause us not to fear when we're in the attack and when we are in the battle. But I want to warn you, some people go a little haywire with this. Some people that come into tribulation, everything's a demon. Every bad word that their husband says is a demon. Every time that they fail and fall and sin, well, that's just demons. Well, (laughs) that's not always the case. A lot of times, our worst enemy is ourself. A lot of times, our worst enemy is our own flesh that wants to rise up and take control in the situation. You see, we're not to be demon chasers, but we are to be prepared. We are to be ready, well-equipped, and able to stand firm. We are to test the spirits and discern them. That's what he tells us in 1 John. You see, we are to prepare ourselves to carry God's presence into every battle, every trial we find ourselves in. But how do we do that? How do we take this Bible? Like I talked about last week, instead of being a Bible stalker, we start being a Bible doer. We make this real in our life. Well, I think we can see from David, from the, his, David's tabernacle, a key, a strong key, and that is praise and worship. We come into his courts, his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We come and acknowledge who he is. We honor him. He is worthy of our praise. What does he tell us last week in Psalm 22? That as we praise him, he come and comes and inhabits our praises. He comes and he sits in our midst. And so we praise Him, we worship Him, we call out God's attributes of who He is and not our situation. And God is faithful to meet us in that place. But there are several steps that start taking place as we come and we enter into His presence. And I'm going to suggest the first one is consecration. When you prepare yourself for battle and you enter into the presence presence of God, you need to be consecrated. You remember... I think it was the second week that Lana talked about what did the Levites first do when they began to bring the Ark of the Covenant back in to Jerusalem. Not the first time when, when I think Uzzah or whatever, who he died, but the second time. And 1 Chronicles 15 tells us what the priests and the Levites did. They consecrated themselves first. That means they purified themselves. They sanctified themselves. They were saying, I'm going to be set apart as I bring in the holy, almighty presence of God. You see, as we enter into his courts and into his presence, he will disclose a heart that's not right with him. He will disclose pride. He will disclose jealousy in your heart and insecurity. He's going to allow his presence, 
his sweet presence to convict you in areas of sin. Because he's a holy God. And we're an unholy people. And just like Isaiah, when he came into the throne room of God, he immediately knew his transgressions. But praise God, when we come into his presence and he convicts us, he is so faithful to forgive. He is so faithful to take our sins and throw them as far as the east is to the west. He blots them out and he says, I will remember them no more because the price has been paid. The blood has been shed. We see an example of this in Psalm 51, if you'll turn with me there. And this psalm was written when David had gotten caught committing adultery with Bathsheba. And I want you to see his response to the conviction of when Nathan the prophet came and told him, Hey, I know what you did. The Lord sees what you did. You know, nothing's really hidden from the Lord. He sees it all. But I want you to see what his response was in verse 7. He says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So what happened when sin entered into David, David's heart? And he committed it, he acted on it, and then it was revealed. He sought the Lord and said, cleanse me. You know what our first step is when we come into the presence of God and he shows us our sin? We confess it. We say, God, we know that this is sin. We acknowledge that what we have done is wrong and it is not holy. And then we renounce it. We confess it, and then when we, re- we renounce it, and we say, I renounce that from my life. I don't want any other part. I don't want any more part of that sin. And then we repent. And that means that we change our thinking on the matter, and we turn the other way and walk. And you know what? God is so faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, then you have to believe that every one of your sins, your past, your present, and even your future has been paid for. Do y'all agree that the blood of Jesus is all-powerful and mighty to forgive you? Then I want to tell you, you get the chains off of you of unforgiveness and condemnation. If you've committed adultery, God says, I will forgive you and cleanse you. If you've murdered someone in your heart, he says, I will cleanse you and forgive you. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to come and lie to you anymore. That's his greatest task, you know, is to accuse you. That's what he says in Revelation. He is the accuser of the brethren to stand up and accuse you because if he keeps you accused, you're not going to walk out in victory. to come into his presence, be consecrated and purified, and he will meet you there. And then the second thing that I think happens when we come into his presence is we begin to surrender. 
When we, we come into his glorious presence and, and his majestic holiness, we begin to say, okay, God, here I am, all of me. And we begin to surrender to God. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But we have to do what? Submit. A great quote I heard this week says, you can resist the devil only to the degree that you are submitted to God. You can resist him only to the degree that you're submitted to God. I started thinking, have I submitted my mouth to God? If we don't daily, ladies, submit this mouth to God, then we're going to allow the enemy to use it. We're going to speak words of death and cursing and gossip and pain. So we submit our mouth. What about our marriages? Have you fully surrendered your marriage to the Lord? Fully. God, you take it. It's not working right now. There's pain. My husband's getting on my nerves. You know, I don't like how he does this. Have you fully said, God, this is yours. I'm surrendering this to you. Because if you don't, he's going to give room for the enemy to come in. You see, when we begin to walk in his presence and carry the presence of God in us, we have got to start surrendering every part of our life, our finances. We don't say, but okay, I'm going to give you a little, but oh, I'm going to hold it all back. No, we surrender and say, God, we know that everything we have comes from you. And so we will give you back joyfully what you deserve. So as we come and we worship and praise, he begins to consecrate us and equip us and prepare us for the battle. He begins to show us how we totally surrender to him so that truly the battle will be his and not ours. And then the third thing is, when we come into his presence, we begin to inquire of the Lord's ways and not ours. You know what I mean? Instead of fighting the battles that we have right now in our own strength and in our own ways, we start saying, okay, God, I want your ways. I want your divine weapons to wage war in this. We see this in the story of David in 1 Samuel 30. And I'll encourage you to go back and read this um, story because it's one of my favorites. But David and about 600 of his men have been out fighting. And they come back to Ziklag. And the Amalekites have come into their territory and they've raided and burned everything. They've even taken their women and their children away. Well, so you imagine David and these 600 men. They come in and they see this. And these men are angry. They are, they are distressed in their spirit. Everything's gone. Everything is gone. And so they start talking among themselves and like, well, we're just going to stone David. Okay, their commander, their leader. And I don't really blame them. I might have thought the same thing. Let's just stone them and get rid of them. Look what he's led us into. Look what's happened. Look how the enemy has come in and destroyed our camp. And there's a key that I love, that what, how David responds. It says that David went and strengthened himself in the Lord. In the midst of probably one of his biggest battles. His own people are turning against him. He strengthens himself in the Lord. How do you think David did that? Don't you know he remembered when he played the harp and the evil spirit left Saul? 
Don't you know when he said, I'm going to trust in the Lord? He is with me when he went up to Goliath. I can only imagine that David, when he called forth the ephod, which represents worship, went and praised him regardless of the situation and said, Oh God, there is destruction, but you are higher than this. You are my strong tower. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. Do you think David felt like it really? It might have been even hard to believe at that moment that God would have been his fortress. But he strengthened himself in the Lord, and then he inquired of God's ways. When we come into his presence and we're preparing for battle, we will inquire of God's ways. And David asked, shall I pursue the enemy? And God answered. And he said, pursue them. And guess what? He went after the enemy with fewer men and fewer resources when things did not look good, and he had great victory and got everything that had been taken from him and his men plus spoils of war. God will tell you how to battle if you will seek him. What about Joshua and Jericho? Don't you all love that story? Joshua, he's coming to the promised land and there's the big fortified city of Jericho where it looks like there's no way they can take this thing down. And then a commander of the army of the Lord shows up and Joseph bows down and he worships him. And he gets a message, a radical, crazy message from God. This is how you're going to battle, Joshua. You're going to take those priests and you're going to give them some trumpets, okay? That's not the normal, natural, carnal weapons. And then you're going to go and they're going to lead with the ark of the God in front, ark of God in front, and you're going to go march around this city with trumpets and marching. You're going to do it seven times, seven days. And on that final one, you're going to shout, and the walls will start crumbling down. You know what? It happened. God was faithful. And they won the victory in a radical, crazy, not natural way. We inquire of God and God will say, I'll tell you what to do. You'll get your instructions from their very command central in heaven. You see, God knows all things. He sees the big picture. He knows your trial and tribulation right now. He knows what's going on in your marriage and in your finances and with your children. And he's got victory on this other side of that. But we've got to seek his ways, his commands. You know, recently I felt like I was in a little bit of a battle. And... I had gotten with some friends, and we were just praising and worshiping, and we were really taking this stuff, these things we're learning. And we were taking it and using it and saying, okay, God. And we were praising him, and we were thanking him, and we were taking our eyes off of our situation. And during that time, I just felt impressed. So I'm, I'm supposed to go, and I'm supposed to walk around this building that had to do with this issue seven times, like Jericho. And honestly, I kind of just disregarded it. I was like, no, that's just Anne. You know that story, so of course you're going to think about that, you know. 
And so I just let it go. And then the next day, the battle kind of reared up a little bit fiery and hot, and I wanted to run and hide, you know. That's usually my tendency. And praise God, I strengthened myself in the Lord. I went and I prayed and I praised. And it's like, okay, I'm back in it. I'm okay. And the next day, we were sitting at the dinner table, and one of my kids just brought this story up. And I went, okay. So I looked at my husband and said, we got to go. we got to go march and shout and praise. He's like, really, it's raining. I said, I know, but I didn't obey the first time, and I know he's telling me to do it again. So that's what we did. We radically obeyed. We just said, okay, God, we're going to obey you. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but we're going to obey you. So we did it. About a week later, the, one of the couples that we had prayed with and praised with, he called my husband. He said, yeah, I hadn't told you this, but I kind of feel like we're supposed to go march around that building like the next two weeks, like Jericho. He said, I couldn't do it last week because I was out of town. And Bradley said, yeah, we're supposed to. (laughs) And don't worry, while you're out of town, my wife and I did it. Now, I haven't seen the full victory yet, but I know that if God laid that on me and Bradley and laid it on this other and they were obedient, I know that the walls will come down. You see, we don't go and we don't take every battle that comes before us. Because there's some battles that we're not equipped yet to bring the victory into. But you see, as we go and we get into God's presence and we're consecrated and we begin to surrender ourselves and we begin to inquire of Him, well, how do you want me to handle this? God will bring the victory and He will instruct you in the way that you should go. And so sometimes when we go and we ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? He might say, I want you to fast. I want you to pray. I want you to take the sword of the Spirit, and I want you to use it, the Word of God. He might tell you to shout. He might tell you, I just want you to remain in my love. You know love can be the greatest weapon because love never fails. It always protects and always perseveres. But I want to encourage you, because this is what David did, I want to encourage you to praise. I want to encourage you to praise. Just like last week we talked about stretching ourselves to lift up our hands, to clap, to shout, to even dance if it gets in you. To thank Him. Stretch yourself to praise. Psalm 149, 5-9. I'm going to give you scriptures that are going to show you the effects of praise when it comes to warfare. Verses 5 through 9 of Psalm 149. Let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his saints. When we begin to praise him, it becomes like a double-edged sword coming out of our mouth. And God will release his presence and his power into that situation to what? Inflict vengeance. And notice what it says, to carry out the sentence written against them. The sentence has already been written. The devil's already been judged. But we are to praise, to release God's power and presence into this warfare and into this battle. Praise releases joy. How many times does the battle begin in your mind and in your emotions? 
where you feel like you are in despair, you are discontent, you are troubled. Go through the Psalms and you see it all the time with David. But when we turn our eyes off of ourselves and our situations and begin to praise Him, it releases joy into the atmosphere. Psalm 16, 11, In His presence you will fill me with joy. You'll fill me with joy in your presence. The joy is supposed to be our strength. Romans 14, it says, This kingdom's not about eating or drinking, but this kingdom of God is within you, and it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when you found yourself downcast and sullen and depressed, I'm going to encourage you, put on the praise. Just praise Him. Just make that sacrifice. That's what a sacrifice is. It won't always feel good, and it's not going to be easy. But you do it anyway. And joy and peace and hope will be released to you. Another, weapon, another effect of praise is it will take off your garment of heaviness when you put on the garment of praise. Isaiah 61. You feel heavy? Praise Him. Just lift Him up. Declare who He is. You need healing? Okay, God, you're my God who heals me. You're Jehovah Rapha. You need help? God, you are my helper in times of trouble. You need deliverance? God, you are my deliverer, and you'll surround me with songs of deliverance. Joy, peace comes in, and heaviness is released. Psalm 8, 2. I love this. That praise will silence the enemy. Do you know that your praise can silence the enemy? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. He ordains praise to silence the enemy. Another effect when we praise him, it stirs up our faith to be able to stand firm. Ephesians 6, it says that over and over again, you are to stand firm. You are to stand. Well, sometimes it's hard to stand, right? When the waters are rising, it's hard to keep your footing, to stand on that rock. But if you begin to praise Him, that faith will rise up in you and you will be able to stand. I believe that praise will speed up victory in your battles. Like David and Ziklag and Joshua and Jericho. It's going to speed up victory. I believe that when we praise Him, it will strike terror in the enemy. You see, the enemy cannot stand in the presence of God and the authority of Christ. And as we praise Him, God comes down and inhabits our praises. It's activated in our heart, and the enemy has to flee. Just like when Jesus came in and He met that demoniac. Remember the one with legions of demons? His first response was like, oh, don't deliver me out into the abyss. He couldn't stand in the presence of the authority of Christ. And then the next thing it does, it places God at the front of our battle. For the battle is the Lord's. I'm going to close with this story in 2 Chronicles 20, if you'll turn with me there. And this is a great example of how praise is used in warfare. If we hadn't already seen enough, here's just another one. 2 Chronicles 20, and I'm not going to read you the whole story, but I want to just set it up for you for a moment. And 
Right now in this part of um, 2 Chronicles, Jehoshaphat is king over Judah. And three different people groups have come against him, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Minyites. And so Jehoshaphat has called the people together. He's called the, an assembly. And he said to them, I'm declaring a fast right now. And we're going to fast, and we're going to inquire of the Lord, and we're together going to seek him. Right there, there's three weapons. Fasting, inquiring of the Lord, and coming together in unity. And so that's what the people do. They come together and they say, okay, we got to do something because it looks like defeat is on its way by these three groups. And so Jehoshaphat stands up in front of all the people and he begins to pray. And he's just declaring who God is and he's mighty and he's strong and all of these things. He's praising them because he's, he's saying, God, these are your attributes and your character. And in verse 12 it says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Meaning these people. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Wow. These people had come together and they were consecrated through a fast. They tell God, this is who you are. I'm going to praise you. And then they're surrendering to him saying, for we have no power to come against this vast army. Consecration, surrender, inquiring. And they inquire of God. They say, our eyes are upon you. At that point, they invited God into the battle. I want to ask you, have you invited God into your battles? Sometimes we just battle in our own strength. And we never take the time to say, my eyes are upon you. God will take the battles if we give it to him. And so listen what happens. The Spirit of the Lord, in verse 14, came upon Jehazel, son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. A Levite. You remember? Who are the people that David appointed to minister to the Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week? The Levites. You remember who Asaph was? He was one of the ones that David had put in charge of ministering to the Lord daily. And here was his descendant, Jehazel. You know he knew about worship and praise. It was in his blood. It was, his, it, is, it was in his inheritance. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and used him. And this is what he said. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, but go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. They got a word from the Lord. They got strengthened up in the Lord's power. God was telling them, don't be afraid or discouraged. You know what that, he tells us that too. Do not be in fear. You're going to have troubles, you're going to have tribulations, but I'm going to give you peace which passeth understanding. Don't be afraid. 
the battle's mine if you invite him into it. I want you to notice what happens next. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kothites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. When I read that, I've I've read the story numerous times. The battle was not won yet. The only thing that they had to stand upon at this point was the word of the Lord that said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, do not be terrified, do not be dismayed. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. This was before the victory came. And they bowed down and they worshiped and the Levites stood up with a loud voice and praised him. I'm going to tell you, I feel like what the Lord said to me was, before the victory, you've got to praise me. You've got to bow down. You've got to invite me in. You've got to inquire my ways. You've got to consecrate yourself. You've got to come into unity. And then what happens? Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They bowed down and worshipped and stood on the word of the Lord, on the promise of God. They trusted in that word. They trusted that the Spirit of the Lord had come upon this man and he was prophesying to them. And they radically obeyed and sent out the worshipers ahead of the army. And they praised him. And when they did that, the Lord, not man, sent ambushes against them. He said ambushes against them. Whatever trial you find yourself in right now, I'm going to tell you, you're going to need to stand on the word of the Lord. You're going to have to find a promise and say, this one's for me. Recently, mine has been in your unfailing love, O Lord, you will silence the enemies because you love me. You'll silence the enemies that come against me. That's my promise. That's the word of the Lord that I've stood upon. And I've worshipped him and praised him before I've seen the victory. I've taken radical steps of obedience that don't make sense. But I know by the word of the Lord that victory is mine. This weekend I have this little app on my phone and it's Charisma News. And it's just a news about different things going on in the world, and it has a spiritual perspective. I want to read you the title of one of the articles. It says, A hundred black pastors plan gay marriage protest with praise. It's like, what? A hundred pastors in Detroit declare that they're going to protest the gay marriage with praise. 
It says a coalition of more than 100 pastors from Detroit will lead a peaceful march against what they express as a threat to their voting rights. The pastors say they are protesting with praise, worship, and prayer. Reverend Roland A. Caldwell says, We have already given enough speeches. Today we intend to go out and sing praises. We shall worship and we shall pray, pray, and we shall behold the glory of the living God, whom we trust will show himself strong on our behalf. They're taking this truth. They're taking the warfare that David talked and lived out, and they're putting it into action. I know for some of you this might be new. And you've heard the scriptures and you know that there's a war and you know that we have victory, but maybe you've never been engaged. You know what the beautiful thing about the Lord is? Is he'll give you little battles at first. He'll allow you to experience and he'll allow you to see victory. And you see, in each battle we face is just preparation for the next. Because I can tell you from my own life, when I learned and I began activating these divine weapons, it was really just for me, the battles. And then God started calling me out to battle on my husband's behalf. And then for my children, and then for my extended family, and then for friends, and then for church. See, God, as you get equipped and empowered and prepared, it's kind of like joining the army. You don't go in as the commander or the general, do you? You start low, and as you learn and gain experience, he's just take you go right on up the ladder. Well, that's how it is with this. You just start where you are, and God will teach you and instruct you. But you see, we have the obligation to war on behalf of the Lord here, not in our own strength, for marriages that are failing right before our eyes for children who have suicidal thoughts where it just does not make sense. We have the obligation to war on behalf of the unbelievers. You see, God's looking for an army to rise up. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem that last week of his life, do you remember how he came in? He came in through high praise. As he got on that donkey and he rode in, The people of God were lying in the streets and they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They were praising him. Bless you, bless you, you save us, you deliver us. And I wonder at that night, almost a week later, and he goes in and he's at that garden and he's having to make that decision as a man. Am I really going to do this? Am I really going to the cross? Am I really going to allow all that to come upon me? I wondered if he remembered and heard those voices. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who is the king of Israel. I think that that strengthened him. Yes, that's right. I know they forsook me. They ended up crucifying me, but they first praised me. You see, I believe as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, he's going to come back on praise. That there's going to be people that rise up that radically praise him as he establishes his millennial temple on this earth. And we're it. We're the ones that are to offer that sacrifice of praise.
I'm going to close with Revelation 3.7. I know I keep telling you I'm going to close. This is it. <laughs> it's a scripture that I have prayed many times. And what I realized is I didn't even really know what I was praying. But God's so faithful. And this is to one of the churches in Philadelphia. And it says this, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I've taken that scripture and I've prayed it many times when opportunities would come up in my life or my husband's. I'd pray, Lord, you open this door if this is the opportunity for us, but you shut it if it's not for us because I'm weak and if the door opens, a lot of times I'm just going to walk through, you know? And so there were times that I prayed that and literally the door would shut and I had faith. Okay, God, I prayed that. That you who holds the key of David would open the doors that no man may shut and shut the ones that no one may open. And as we started beginning to learn about David's tabernacle, I started thinking, this verse kept coming back to me. Okay, well, I know we're talking about Jesus, but he holds the key of David. And I don't have full revelation on this, but what I do think that the Lord has revealed to me is that as we begin to praise him and enter into his presence, it gives Jesus the authority and the dominion to put the key in and unlock, to bring breakthrough and deliverance. You see, what does a key represent? If you have a key to a home, you have authority over that place. You have dominion. You have the right to come in and go out. You have the right to lock it to keep the enemy out, right? I think... As we grab hold of praise and we're consecrated and surrendered and we inquire of the Lord, that Jesus takes that key and says, okay, you've invited me in. This battle's going to be mine now. And I'm going to unlock what needs to be unlocked and lock what needs to be locked. I think that's what happened with Paul and Silas, don't you? They praised in their midnight hour. And Jesus said, okay, I've got the key of David. I'm going to unlock your chains. I'm going to unlock your jail cell. And not only are you going to be free, but there'll be freedom for the house. So I want to spur you on. Pick up praise. Just try it. Try it in your car. No one's looking at you. Just do it. Just do it. Watch this video, and we're going to end. Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. So today, I will give no place to fear or failure. I will not accept a trace of apathy in my attitude or actions. I will reject complacency and embrace the greatness that God has planted inside of me. I will waste no opportunity to glorify God and maximize everything He has entrusted to me. I will fight. My battle is not against flesh and blood but against a spiritual enemy who opposes me. So I will draw the battle lines and face my enemy with a bold determination. My enemy fights against me because he fears me. Every time I resist him, he must flee. And every time he reminds me of my past, I will remind him of his future. I will make no excuses, but through every obstacle I will find a way. 
I will not procrastinate my progress. I will not defer my destiny. I will not waver when I'm weak. I will not cower when my circumstances take a turn for the worse. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will fight. Even if I lose the battle, I will win the war because I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I will reject the lies that echo in my mind, telling me that I don't have what it takes, that my best is behind me, or that humiliation awaits me. The devil is a liar, and my God always causes me to triumph. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I will fight. I'm unashamed to represent a kingdom that is unshakable. No one will be able to stand against God's plan for me all the days of my life. With my God, I will advance against every troop. With his help, I will scale every wall. Though my enemies surround me, my God surrounds my enemies. Though they may come at me one way, they will flee seven ways. Because no weapon formed against me will prosper. And every evil thing that rises against me, I will condemn, I will fight. My heart is steadfast. My purpose is immovable. I am always abounding in the work of the Lord. And my potential is unlimited because the limitless God lives within me. I will fight. The cross is before me. The world is behind me. I'll never turn back. I'll never give up. I'll never settle. I'll never stop short. I will press toward the mark for the prize that is already mine. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate me from my God. And if my God is for me, who can be against me? I will fight, fight. Y'all ready to fight? All right, y'all stand up and grab holds with your sis- hands with your sisters in Christ. Everybody got a hand? Because we're an army. We're unified. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are for us and not against us. Thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We thank you, Father God, that this battle is not ours, but it is yours. And you are the commander of the angel armies. You are the Lord of hosts. And so, Father, right now, we come to you as women. And we're asking you to rise up the desire in us to fight on behalf of our families, to fight on behalf of our schools and workplaces and churches, Lord God. Father, I pray that we would be princess warriors, Lord, that take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and put on the garment of praise, Lord God, to dispel darkness with your light. Father, we thank you that this fight is a good fight of faith. So, Father, we grab hold of it. And we determine in our heart to strengthen ourselves in you and to go out and to do your God-ordained battle with your help and with your strength. And we all said, Amen. Amen.